Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you selling for less. Those of you who have been listening to some of my previous episodes know that I like to talk quite frequently about mental health. Mental health is a major part of the human experience and part of the human experience that tragically until relatively recently has largely been ignored. I think the attitude used to be kind of just suck it up and do your job and not really deal with whatever is bugging you on the inside or whatever's going on, whatever's wrong. And while that may lead to an existence that gets the job done, sucking it up does not really lead to a very happy existence. So I love to hear stories about people who are taking new approaches and trying to help people out with mental health. My guests today are Rachel Ragsdale and Angie Nowak from Brain Code Centers. Rachel, Angie, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Stephen. We're excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on to this show and telling us your story. I guess the first thing I want to know is Brain Code Centers uses a technology called Brain Code Mapping. Can you explain to our audience who may be curious about different aspects of mental health, different aspects of how we can go about improving our mental health, how this Brain Code Mapping process works? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll start us off here. So I love that question. And I know Angie also loves that question because that is truly what our company thrives on is actually looking at the root cause of what's going on. So very much so classically in mental health, the two main things that people seek out when they're not feeling well are prescription medications or counseling. And both of those two are very good things that you can get involved in. There's no problems with either of them. But we really do believe firmly that that misses the why and it really misses the root of what's going on. And so we look at the organ that we're actually treating and we do that through that QEEG brain map that you were just referring to. And it tells us where there's areas of under or overactivity, which we know that is where we start. That is the baseline that gives us the direction to everything that we do from a treatment standpoint. So this brain mapping and I apologize when I introduced you, I forgot to introduce your specific roles. Rachel, I know you're the co-founder of the organization. And Angie, I know you're the vice president of business development. So please feel free to answer whatever questions I follow up with, whatever pertains accurately to your specific roles with this organization. This brain code map can explain some of the things that a lot of people observe, and what I mean is everything from the obvious schizophrenia, the ones that are diagnosed, to the people who more generically just say, I have anxiety, I have trouble focusing sometimes, and also to other types of ailments that people talk about. Yeah. So, no, you're exactly right. We treat anything from anxiety, depression, ADD, bipolar, trauma, PTSD, brain injuries, sleep issues. I would say more commonly, some of the top things that we treat are, are the things that I just mentioned. But absolutely, and what Rachel was saying, rather than treating these, you know, mental health issues, if you will, with synthetic substances, medication, things like that, or even, you know, talk therapy, which we obviously believe in, Rachel and I both have licenses in clinical mental health, we believe in really looking at the organ and treating the underlying issue rather than masking it with medication. And obviously, we believe there's a time and a place for medication, but for a lot of people, neurofeedback is alternative route to actually solving what they're dealing with for a long-term answer versus like a short-term solution. Yeah. So I absolutely will go into that. I'm kind of going to give a briefer overview. So we do 45-minute consultations completely free to anyone as obviously neurofeedback is not necessarily something that's a super quick explanation, but 
really neurofeedback is operant conditioning of the brain. And we know that operant conditioning is reward-based training. If you have a puppy, we're not going to try to train a puppy to sit without treats. We're going to do some type of reward, right? You tell it to sit, you give it a treat. It's going to repeat the behavior because it wants the reward. And actually, I have people ask me all the time, like, so what are the brain treats? So brain treats that we're actually giving the brain while they're training are visual, auditory, and tactile. So people come in, they have electrodes on their head. Never is there any electrical stimulus going into the brain. And then through a series of reward stimulus, we're actually showing the brain kind of like a mirror what it's doing well and what it can be doing better and actually changing those neurological patterns. So rather than, like I said, putting something synthetic in, we're teaching the brain to do it better on its own. With this reward feedback, how would this impact someone that's suffering from, let's say a common ailment today is I just have a lot of anxiety and it feels like every little input overwhelms me. Oh my God, there was an election yesterday on the other side of the country and somehow I'm still anxious about it type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Anxiety is probably the number one thing that we treat day in and day out. And that's truly, that's a reflection of our culture, right? Our culture is stressed out. Our culture is anxious. We are so overstimulated with technology all the time. And obviously anxiety can come from about 50 different patterns in the brain. A common pattern that we see is overproduction of fast wave activity, which is actually beta and high beta, which are the two fastest brain waves. And when our brain is utilizing all of its electrical energy in fast, we don't have anything left over for slow. So that's why people feel like, oh my gosh, my brain is just racing all the time. It's buzzing. I can never slow down, right? And then you get the somatic symptomology of anxiety, chest tightness, brain racing, physical tension, you know, not sleeping, things like that, or stomach issues. A lot of people experience, you know, kind of that sensitive stomach. That's a lot of times what we see. So truly in very layman's terms, the protocols that we're going to create for a brain like that are to inhibit that fast wave activity, teach the brain to produce less of that, and teach it to produce more of slow. Not to make the brain slow, but so that the brain has flexibility, so that it's able to, yes, access that fast, but also to be able to access that slow, giving their brain the ability to utilize what it needs when it needs it. That's interesting because one of the things I'm curious about is you talked about this idea of getting down to the root of the problem. And some people might hear that and think the root of the problem is what you'll hear in talk therapy. You will oftentimes go back to something from your childhood or people will talk about some sort of issue with our culture. And our culture, you alluded to being one of the things responsible for why the neurological equivalent of sitting down and rest. How does the neurological training, the feedback training, relate to things like talk therapy or meditation, which is becoming increasingly popular way to people get into that slow mode in their brain. So the analogy that I like to give on that one is everything from supplementation, exercise, yoga, counseling, those are all amazing software that we can upload or get involved in right for a practical lifestyle. However, if you are trying to do all of these software updates on a hardware that is not functioning very properly or optimally, you're very much so going to reach plateaus with that. And so neurofeedback, in essence, works more as the software update or hard drive, right? So hard drive update so that now the software that you're trying to put on that new hard drive actually can be functional for you. So we look at it kind of as that piece of the puzzle. We oftentimes refer out to counselors, work right alongside other doctors, therapists, encourage people to be working with their nutritionists, their functional medicine folks. So 
we definitely have a holistic approach from a neuro standpoint and a health standpoint. What you'd say is that because a lot of people are trying to treat their mental health issues. And first of all, I just want to point out it's fantastic that we're even paying attention to this now compared to where we were, say, something like 50 years ago, where seeing a therapist even was seen as a sign of weakness or failure or something like that, right? So it's great that we're even to this point where people are starting to actively acknowledge mental health issues as what they are, as opposed to just some sort of deficiency of something else. But what I'm wondering is people who are working, say, only with yoga, meditation, something like that, is there something that's like fighting against themselves, parts of their brain are being over or not active enough? I want to make sure I understand your question there, Stephen. So we look at, right, because there's a lot of people, for example, that will say, I've been practicing yoga for the last decade, and it really helps me manage my stress and manage my anxiety. And we look more at at that keyword manage, right? And then we challenge it with, well, what if you didn't have to manage it? Right? What if you actually just got to feel it and get better from it and, and have a brain that's strong enough to combat it? And so that's kind of what we really stand on our pillars that we truly believe that you are able to change the brain and completely transform your life. And we make pretty bold statements in our companies. I really truly believe that you don't have to have anxiety and you don't have to suffer from depression and that your brain is very capable just as it's capable of relearning how to walk after an accident or learning a new language at the age of 30. You are more than capable of changing the way that your brain fires and thus changing any sort of diagnoses or symptomology that you feel like you're having to manage on a day-to-day basis. Well, I think your answer was, when I think of managing things, some people choose way more destructive ways to manage their problems, such as alcohol, booze, self-medication of other kinds, or the possibly most destructive one that we all have is the living a lifestyle where you're constantly distracting yourself. Every time you have 10 seconds of spare time, and you might even get to the point where you're thinking about something, you immediately shove your phone in front of your face, or you have to schedule out every 15 minutes of every single day. So I'm glad to hear there are more approaches to some of these issues and some of these really common issues. As you said, anxiety is your number one. What I'm wondering is you have a couple of different brain code center locations, what is the impact that you're seeing on your patients as well as the community as a whole, the area around you that you serve? That's a big question. I would say just in the current times, you know, we've now been doing this and I've been in the field now for almost a little over a decade, which really makes me feel aged there if I think about it. But there's a couple things that come to mind. Number one, I love that more and more people are starting to also talk about mental health. I'd say when I first started in this field as a little old intern, nobody knew what neurofeedback was. Nobody had heard about biofeedback. And now if you lined 10 people up, maybe half of them have at least heard of it. And so I think Angie would also agree with this, that our culture is moving towards an answer. Like I would like an answer of what's going on. And maybe I don't want to take a pill. I want to figure out how I can have more of a functional approach to this. So that's one movement that I've noticed. The second movement is just from a kid's standpoint. This was pre-COVID loveliness and all the, the fun stuff that we can talk about on that here for a second. But there is a true pandemic with social media, phone addiction. The more complex brain maps that we have seen, I'd say have occurred over the past five years. There's a significant increase in child and teen suicide. And that was even pre-existing COVID. It's just now manifested even more. 
And we've gotten to see that like quantitatively our brain maps, you can tell that kids are suffering and that there is a pretty significant impact on what's going on just from a culture standpoint, from a generational look at it. And then the third thing that comes to mind is COVID. You know, unfortunately, we're in the mental health business and people aren't doing well. And it's good for our business, right? We are very busy. We see hundreds of patients a week at all of our clinics. And we're so glad that we can be a resource and a light and hopefully a place where people can come and feel safe and heal from their suffering. But yeah, Angie and I have done some pretty traumatic consults lately. People aren't doing well for a number of different reasons. And so you know, while I'm hopeful that there will definitely be be changes with that, we're also just looking forward to just the progression of more and more people learning that there are different ways to combat and address your mental health and get on top of it and be intentional with it. So those are kind of the three things. And I don't know if that really answered your question, but those are the three things that come to mind from just a societal and cultural standpoint. Yeah, I wanted to jump in as well, Rach. We do have two main clinics, one on Sixth and Santa Fe and one in Highlands Ranch. We also work very closely with first responders. And I think that speaks a little bit more to kind of our impact on a culture. So we have such an interesting culture around first responders right now. And our first responders just experience so much trauma. I mean, in their lives, in their jobs. And, you know, we see a high suicide rate of first responders when they retire because their brains are truly stuck in that state of hypervigilance and can't transition out. So we work with several different departments, whether it's fire, whether it's police department, sheriff department, and we have seen a profound impact in the first responders that we get to work with. And truly, it is such an amazing blessing that we are able to work with that specific population because they are extremely high needs. So I think that's another way that we're really highly impacting a community. It sounds like also what you're saying is that we have these impacts, whether it be our life specifically or these cultural impacts that are being discussed quite a bit. I talked in previous episodes about Tristan Harris and the Center for Humane Technology talking about in his uh, documentary last year, The Social Dilemma, talked a little bit about this teen suicide pandemic, as it should be referred to. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that when these impacts, these cultural, these external impacts happen to our lives, they show up in our neurological maps, they show up in our neurological feedbacks, and that's what you diagnose and that's what you see. One thing I'm wondering is, given the amount of data, I know you probably have some data privacy-related constraints, but given the amount of data that you're collecting of people, different professions, different experiences, different generations over time, have you been contacted for any research studies or put together any research studies around how some of the changes to our culture that have occurred over the course of this 21-year-old century have impacted our mental health and impacted how our neurological processes are being altered by social media and everything else? Yeah, that's a great question. I think so many people are genuinely curious about brain health. And there's not a week that goes by that Angie and I are approached by someone that wants to learn more, you know, about this specific supplement or this specific CBD and how it impacts the brain or this specific population. And just where we're at right now, it is not that I am not interested in research. I very much so am. We are are just running a hundred miles an hour, keeping up. So we haven't had the time or resources really to dedicate to something research-based like that. We have done some of our own one-off studies, super small little case studies but nothing longitudinal type study like that. 
very interested. You know, if we had someone that could commit their time and, and resources to something like that, we definitely would have the data to be able to provide them with. But yeah, right now, that is an area people could for sure dive into. Yeah, I have some sort of hope that people will look into that the same way that the Center for Humane Technology and some of these other authors and researchers have looked into the data around some of the some of the things that we're observing now. And I tend to observe, you know, not only a suicide, but some of the increases in violence. There's just a lot of that's really being observed. And I'm glad to hear that people are just genuinely concerned about that. And one thing I'm wondering is that as you allude to us becoming kind of more aware of the problem over time, that you're seeing it and people are more paying attention to over time into the future, as more and more people seek and get the right treatment for whatever is ailing them, what do you see that impact having on our culture in general? Do you see more people being able to kind of live the more fulfilling lives that I'm hoping that they can by, you know, listening to things like this podcast, but other kind of capacities as well? Do you see a more productive culture or even just a healthier culture emerging over the next couple of decades? Or do you see the impacts of some of these more destructive things like social media and loneliness still kind of pushing things back into the wrong direction? Yeah, you're asking such big questions, right? And they're such good questions. And I think where my mind goes with that, that specific one is brain code is our mission is to provide hope, right? And so while we cannot have impact on every single person in the world, our hope is that if we can have a positive impact on one kid, and then that positively impacts their mom and dad or their brother and sister, that that will be a revolving door of positive impact that can just make impression on the world and make an impact just on other people around them, right? If you are taking more of an intentional approach on your mental health, then you probably get along better with your boss who then gets along better with their other employees. And so our goal is just to make a positive impact on every single person that walks through our door, which hopefully sheds light and hope and encouragement and health onto the rest of society you know, and I don't think we would be in this business if we didn't have hope that people are capable of changing their lives and finding their passion and living their best selves. Angie and I would say are, are both testimonies of that from kind of where we've come from and, and some of the struggles that we've overcame and, and been resilient through. And so I do truly believe that everyone is capable of taking ownership of their life and creating the best version of themselves it just takes takes showing up and having the resources and also the knowledge to know that things like brain code centers are even out there or other resources are even out there for them. And one of the things I want to point out based on that statement to anyone listening here who is pondering or starting up a social impact type of initiative is that oftentimes a good portion of the impact that we have is stuff that we do not see, kind of like an iceberg. You see the tip, but you don't see a lot of what's underneath. You see the people you directly affect you oftentimes don't see the people that they affect. Or oftentimes, even with the people you do directly affect, maybe you don't even see what happens five years down the road, 10 years down the road with them. And so it's important to realize that what you're seeing is only a small sliver of what impact you're having if you truly start making an impact on some people's lives and on some people's journeys through whether it be mental health, physical health, career journeys, career mapping, community, or any other challenge that we're encountering at this point in time. Yeah, you're exactly right. And we don't get to see that, but we are fortunate that a heavy referral source for us is word of mouth referral. So we'll hear about people, clients we had five years ago, and you know, a neighbor is like, hey, so-and-so did neurofeedback with you. 
They loved it. It changed their lives. It changed their kids' lives. We'd love to do it. So we don't get to see them necessarily. We don't get to hear that, but we do get little kind of whispers of the change and of the permanency of the change and how that really, you know, transformed their lives and their families' lives and has impacted their communities. Quick chance for any listener out there who is interested in the Brain Code Center's process. What would be the best way to contact you all if someone listening wants to get their brain mapped and get some treatment? Yeah, so we have a website, braincodecenters.com. We also have social media, Brain Code Centers Instagram. I definitely encourage people to go to the website. Rachel and I actually do 100% of the consultations for our company. So any person wanting to come in is going to talk to one of the two of us. Like I said, those consultations are completely free. So it's never going to cost anyone something to learn more and to understand better. You know, obviously, we're getting probably a little taster today of what is neurofeedback, but we encourage people to come in and learn more. So if there are people who have deeper questions and more personal questions, contact us. You know, we're going to get you on the schedule within a couple of weeks and do a phone, in-person, or Zoom consultation to learn more. And one thing I'm curious about, just given that, Angie, is how you're able to do product development as well as all the consultations. And Rachel, I know you have a similar kind of, you know, multiple roles, how you're all able to manage that time demand. Just being superwomen. That's all it is. Just being driven. You know, fortunately, we don't enjoy things like sleeping. So we no, I'm just kidding. We love staying busy. I think we work. Carly um, Strike is not on this call. She's the other owner. And I think we work extremely well as a team and delegate jobs where we need to. But we love getting stuff done. We love what we do. When you're passionate about what you do, it's really easy to make it fun and make it work and work hard. So yeah, classic small but big business, right? You know, we don't have a million employees, but we wouldn't be able to do it without I think our 25 some employees that see clients and work their butts off so that we can do what we do best, right? You know, we definitely hope we can continue to grow and and hire more roles. But right now, I think Angie and I, I don't think we would ever want to give up the consults and the face-to-face interactions. So I've already had to give up so many other roles that I love. Like there's just some roles that you do because they are your bread and butter and it puts a smile on your face every single day. So yeah, it's a balancing act, but I would like to say we have somewhat healthy brains. So we are able to, to juggle it pretty well. And one of the things I've observed, possible to have a job where you barely work 30 hours a week, but because it's so misaligned with where your passion's at, or misaligned with what you do well and what you like doing, you're burned out on only 30 hours a week. And it's also possible to have a job where you're working double that. But because it's so well aligned, because it's energizing, it's rejuvenating, it actually doesn't lead to burnout. You're asking, Stephen, yes, these big questions that I feel like we could talk about for so long. It's so good. Angie and I chat about this all the time, right? Because we interview people that want to work, right? And so it's very interesting the language that people use, right? They want to kind of work from home, take some days off, but they also want to make a pretty good salary. And sometimes it's just pretty frank. Like if you want to make a good salary, you have to typically work pretty hard. And so I think there's a really interesting dynamic between people that have these big roles, but they're not willing to put in the effort to get there. Now, to answer your other question, I also think there's a large misunderstanding of self-knowledge. The amount of people that don't know how they're wired, what their strengths are, what their number one values are, what their drainers are, what their drivers are. They've never explored that. I mean, we, Angie and I, those are our questions we ask oftentimes on our interviews. 
And a lot of people had never thought of these questions, right? So we would challenge people and anybody listening to this, like, know what your Myers-Briggs type indicator is. Know what your Enneagram is. Truly do some value work with someone that's licensed that can work through that with you. Because if you can figure out what your number one value is, it's probably actually not what you even think it is right off the bat. It takes some time to do that work. And when you can get down to that, that gives you directions moving in the right direction, right? And we're all about that on our team is getting a team of people. We're all moving in the same direction with the same purpose, the same goals. And it's a hard thing to do. It really is. But I do believe if people are a little bit more intentional about knowing who they are, there wouldn't be such a big dissonance between the jobs that people are sitting in. So I also want to make sure we cover one other thing. Now, you said you've been at this for a little bit over a decade. I'm curious about what motivated you to like what made you decide that Brain Code Centers was going to be your path and this was going to be brain mapping was what you wanted to bring into the world. Yeah. So mine's really straightforward. It's from a personal experience, like many business owners typically, right? So I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, a pretty rough childhood, wasn't thriving whatsoever. Most people would have said, you know, Rachel will probably be dead or in jail by age 25. And so I ended up seeking out help. My parents found some help for me. They ended up finding out about neurofeedback. And so I went through an entire program and truly my before and after brain map after going through the program looks like a new person. And I truly do feel like it changed my life. So I ended up changing my career from, I think, interior design to psychology, neuroscience, all that. And all of my path has just kind of led to this. So it really was just through overcoming hardship and suffering. You know, when I was 19, I had a skull fracture, traumatic brain injury. And so that really drastically changed my life in a lot of ways. And I I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to be an occupational therapist. So I didn't actually think that I would get to work with brain injuries. And then, but truly, you know, the Lord, the universe, you know, kind of whatever you think that is, just really led my path. And through my master's, a professor that I was close with introduced me to Carly, Rachel's business partner, and she ended up bringing me on, you know, to the team. I didn't know exactly what that would look like at the time, but I had a lot of faith that it at least felt right. And I'm pretty intense and driven person. So, and Rachel and I and Carly, I would say are very aligned in a lot of our goals. So, you know, when I came on, I learned how to do neurofeedback. I learned about that, was a clinician for several years, and then, you know, kind of came on into different roles along the line. But I think that's a really beautiful thing with Rachel, Carly, and I, is we've all been practitioners. So we can speak about it from a very clinical standpoint and have a lot of understanding from it in that way. But yeah, that's a little bit of my story and how I, how I got here. And so for everyone listening out there that's in the process of starting, considering starting, pondering all their own initiatives, what would you say is the importance of having the right team around you? You talk about kind of being in alignment on your vision, being in alignment on a couple other things as well. It's absolutely critical. It's hands down the most important thing in the world is having the right team. And not just the right team, but the right people in the right place on the team. You might have the best employee, but they're not in the right spot. They're not on the right seat on the bus. But it truly, it's not even a question. It is hands down the most important thing in the world. If you don't trust your team, if you don't believe in your team, if if everyone's not aligned on goals, you're going to have a really hard time finding success. That makes sense. And it also makes sense to me in the framework of understanding, for lack of a better way to put it, that so many people are on that wrong it can be a little bit challenging for a lot of people. And 
kind of adds a little bit more to that importance that you're talking about, about knowing yourself. And I know people have so many different ways of knowing themselves. Final question I guess I'd have for you is, does brain mapping help people know themselves or does that have to be a completely different process for anyone that still doesn't know some things about themselves? I think it does. I think looking at your brain, getting to see what your brain looks like, how you're wired, because we speak into that during our map reviews. When we're going over this data with them, we really do speak into their lives, right? This is what we see just from a biological level. And this is probably how it's showing up in your world. So I absolutely believe that it can help people not only acknowledge and see what they already knew about themselves, but maybe hearing it from a different point of view helps them understand each other themselves that much better. So I would say in general, 100%, it's definitely a big piece of the puzzle of getting them to have more self-knowledge and confidence. Mm. And it's important to get other perspectives too, right? Because a lot of people think they know themselves, but oftentimes there's things they don't know about themselves. So Angie, Rachel, I would like to thank you both so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes, talking to us about mental health, about knowing yourself, about brain mapping and neurofeedback and that whole process. I would like to encourage everyone out there listening to think about their mental health, think about getting to know yourself, get to know yourself a little bit better, dive a little bit deeper into what you think you know. I like candy. Okay, no, go a little bit deeper than that, which is kind of what we're getting at and figure out what you prefer doing, where your passion lies, and what, what bus you want to be sitting on, what seat you want to fill, what role you want to fill, and where you truly feel yourself naturally in life. And also stay tuned to Action Antidotes for more episodes with other people that will bring you their stories, their encouragement, as well as other interesting ideas for how we can all become better human beings.